Hello, welcome back to Learning from a Layman. I'm Carl Christensen. I'm back today with Johnny Nielsen, who's been on multiple podcasts. So if you don't know who Johnny is now, then you're not listening to enough of our podcasts. Johnny is, uh, or Dr. Johnny, as some would have him called. Uh, and we're back today for our second podcast with Peter Vogel. Peter is our uh, uh, resident phys- uh, physicist, phys- not physician, because that's what Johnny is. Anyway, um, but we've got uh, a soon-to-be dentist and doctor on the podcast, and therefore we are talking today about re- relativity, because why wouldn't we? Um, so today we're going to be talking about the theory of relativity, uh, the history of it, the, uh, the implications of it, and just give you some. Uh, now we've discussed physics in the past. We've touched on relativity lightly, but this is going to be a more in-depth dive into all things relative. So let's let's go ahead and get started. The history of the uh, theory of relativity. Now, from a layman aspect. You know, I think most of us just assume that Einstein was the uh, the sole creator of all things theory of relativity. But Peter, you want to give us a, a slightly more nuanced take on how the theory of relativity came into being? Yeah, so relativity um, was discovered by a couple people simultaneously. Originally, special relativity was discovered, and then general was the second one to be discovered. But um, Einstein and a different scientist called Lorentz came up with the idea that time might not be advancing uniformly for everyone and everything. Um, it explained a lot of things that were going on in physics that were just unexplainable at the time. And it, there, at the time, people thought that um, pretty much everything in physics had been discovered. There were people who were being told to not go into the field because there was nothing left. So. Relativity kind of opened the floodgates of realizing that we didn't know everything. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, so some of the uh, most famous physicists actually ignored the advice of their advisors and other people in the field because they were like telling them that there was nothing left to be learned. Interesting. Um, yeah. Anyway, basically, Lorentz discovered relativity in a different way from Einstein. Einstein realized that time doesn't advance uniformly, and he developed some formulas that um, work with time and speed. And Lorentz developed another one that we use both because they're both useful ways of thinking about it, but Lorentz, um, his formulas were not, not so much just directly correlating speed and time, but so much as correlating um, position and space-time and deriving formulas that really um, connect what space-time is and how you how space and time are not really separate entities but one. So the uh, the inter- yeah, I think you, you already mentioned this, but that these they didn't um, collaborate on this, right? They're, so they're working independently of each other. Lorentz, uh, a Dutch physicist, I believe, so working in the Netherlands. Einstein, uh, originally German, but I believe at the time that he was discovering relativity and, and doing those formulas, he was living in the United States. Um, Came to these, came to the theory of relativity uh, almost simultaneously, but uh, without collaboration, right? Yeah, they came up with it almost at exactly the same time, but and they came up with it in different ways. But right. um, special yeah. relativity really was, it was doomed to be discovered. There were lots of people working. <laughs> okay. That. General relativity was kind of more out there. 
Right. Now, special relativity was discovered first and then general relativity. So is that the order it came in? Yeah, seems kind of backwards, but yeah. Yeah, you would think so, right? The, just the naming uh, would seem to indicate that special would uh, be the uh, the progression of the theory of relativity away. Uh, but yeah, uh, let's talk a little bit about the, I guess, the different the differences between, I think you've already started touching on special relativity versus general relativity. But from the layman a point of view, you know, I guess the layman doesn't really actually differentiate at all. And if you hear a di the difference between special relativity and general relativity, um, you know, me without a lot of physics background, I, I know that one of them has more to do with uh, accounting for gravity. Is that right? To really dumb it down, basically special relativity says that the faster you move, the um, shorter you get and the slower time moves for you compared to everyone else, however it advances normally for you. Um, and then general relativity is the more gravity, like the deeper in the gravitational well you are, which we can talk a little bit more about later, but basically the more gravity that is being exerted on you, the slower time moves for you. And that goes down to like if you go up into the mountains, it's a measurable difference that time is moving slower for you than other people. Yeah, and that's one something I wanted to touch on. So we can actually just do that now. I mean, if we're talking about um, so, so general relativity uh, deals with that uh, time dilation effect, uh, and and you're saying that's that's measurable even at uh, the level of gravity that we experience here on Earth and the speeds that we deal with here. Um, yeah, it is technically measurable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not, but yeah, we're talking not like to fractions. any normal person. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, right. fractions makes it sound bigger than it is. It's like femtoseconds. So like. <laughs> okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. Good. Good point. Yeah, we're talking. Yeah, about um, incredibly small numbers. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, measurable and uh, so that we can actually figure out. Okay. In femtoseconds, this is the number of uh, uh, the difference between being on a mountain versus being at, at sea level or whatever. It's measurable enough that they have clocks precise enough to tell the difference so they can see that time moves slower like on a mountain than at sea level, but not measurable enough that anyone would ever notice. Right. Um, now, why did... speed. I don't think we have anything fast enough to actually notice. So, oh, okay, that makes sense. Now uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But okay, so uh, as far as once again, just revisiting special relativity to general relativity, when Einstein and 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 potential well, um, did special had the formulas worked up for special relativity was developing that that theory. At what point did um, the I did the this concept of needing more? Um, you know, what was it that that prompted uh, general relativity specifically? Was there one thing that was missing that he that you uh, um, noticed? Or I, uh, I guess you said that this deeper gravitational wells, was he in a particular formula or trying to account for a particular effect when de developing general relativity? Um, I'm not positive on that. I know that general relativity filled in some of the gaps that people didn't understand. I think he was kind of trying to figure out why like general relativity kind of explained why light was affected by gravity because light has no mass. 
And right. Hence, gravity, like gravitational force is governed by the equation force equals the gravitational constant g times mass one times mass two divided by r squared. And if mass two is zero, then that force is zero. So Einstein was kind of trying to figure out why light was bending around things. It didn't make any sense with the physics that we had at the time. Yeah, yeah. That, okay, so these are a few of the questions that really, when I was starting to think about this podcast, that I, uh, that, that the layman, uh, once again, I represent that uh, that person, um, doesn't, I, it, a lot of these concepts are, are just hard to even conceptualize. Um, so, okay, but, but before we get to, to light and why it bends, um, and you already started explaining that, but as you get close to the speed of light, I, you know, even the layman knows that the mass increases, right? As you get closer to the speed of light, uh, mass exponentially increases, right? Which is why we can't get to the speed of light, is it would take infinite energy to get uh, something, a mass, uh, a, par a particle with mass to the speed of light. Um, why does that happen? Um, there's actually two ways of thinking about this. Some people think that mass actually increases. Um, some people think that it's not mass increasing, but that it just takes more and more energy increasing exponentially to accelerate once you're going that fast. So um, one school of thought, yes, is that as you go faster and faster, you become heavier and heavier, and thus the equation governing like kinetic energy. It's like one half mass times velocity squared. The velocity obviously is governed, it has a speed limit of c squared or the speed of light squared, but mass, um, if that equation is going to run away to infinity, mass is the only other factor in there that can increase. So some people assume that mass just um, increases till you're moving something that's so massive that it can't go any faster. But that's once again why light can do it because light has no mass. Right. Now we can get like neutrinos, which have mass to like some incredibly high percentage of the speed of light, right? I think last podcast we had you on, um, we talked about CERN, the uh, particle mm -hmm. accelerator over in Europe that, uh, and, and we can yeah. get those particles that have a measurable, but essentially in, in, uh, infinitesimal mass to like 99.99 the speed uh, percent of, of the speed of light. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And so we don't, because their mass starts off so tiny, uh, that's why we can get them so close to the speed of light? Um, yeah, in part. They're also a lot easier to accelerate just because they are smaller. So, yeah, I guess the mass would be what's, um, what's going there. But. Okay. And do we, so is that, I guess my question is, so we can measure the effect of, of accelerating near uh, to the speed of light on those particles um, in, in these, you know, particle accelerators. And uh, so we, we can measure some of these effects of relativity just based on what we can observe from those particles. Oh, yeah. I mean, those ones are actually pretty significant. Some of those particles that they're accelerating last, like, millionth billionth of a second which is um pretty long for some of those particles but when you accelerate them to like near the speed of light they actually last for a couple of seconds which is wow which is a huge 
difference. So yeah. even particles coming in from space, sometimes there's particles that'll um, come in from space. And if they were to not abide by special relativistic um, laws, then they would um, disintegrate in a fraction and a fraction is being generous of a second where they actually can make it all the way to the surface of the earth because of special relativity, because in their frame of reference, um, they have only lived for their um, allotted amount of time, but from ours, they lasted way longer than they should have. Okay. Interesting. I, I didn't know that. Um, okay. So these neutrinos, which you said are, are tiny, uh, some of these particles that have just essentially that don't exist for more than uh, generally wouldn't exist for more than a millionth or a billionth or a, you know, femtoseconds or whatever. Um, yeah. They uh, neutrinos actually last quite a while. Neutrinos well, aren't unstable. They're, I mean, the sun emits neutrinos and they pass through the earth and they go on for a long time. They're pretty stable particles, but there's other oh, okay. things that we can make that aren't so stable. Got it. Okay. Now, so these are all particles we're talking about that have mass. Um, and that therefore and we can deal with and, and we can accelerate and uh, can't get to the speed of light, but can get close. You mentioned light and light is the, the, the part that I guess I don't fully. So I know that light can act like a, a part well, we have photons, right? Particles of light um, and they can go the speed of light, obviously, because they're massless. But how do you have a massless particle? To me, that seems like an, uh, an oxymoron. I, a particle to me seems like something that exists, uh, uh, a, a massless thing like, like a wave makes sense to me, because that's more of a, a pattern of energy movement. Uh, a particle itself seems to me like it would have to intrinsically have mass in order to be a particle. Otherwise, it's like a, a pattern or, or a, a you know, it's it exists as energy only. So what's what's how does that yeah. work? <laughs> it's a packet of energy. So um, mass and energy are kind of interchangeable to some degree, which is one of the other things Einstein developed. His E equals mc squared equation. Um, you can turn right. mass into energy, but light is originally they thought it was just a wave, which um, made a lot of sense and it seemed to work most of the time, but it really confounded physicists a lot of the time when light didn't act like a wave, when it acted like a particle. And um, so there's something called wave-particle duality and people just don't, like, you couldn't describe light solely as a wave because it had particle properties, um, but it's a packet of energy. It's called a photon, which I'm sure everyone's heard before, but it's not there is no mass but it's a packet of energy that's just moving okay and so, so in a sense yeah there's no mass to it a particle seems to like it would have mass but so if light exists it uh, it has energy and therefore it has photons um uh okay i think i think i better understand how that works then so that um the only way that you can have you can't have a of stationary photon then right i mean it has to be traveling yep okay all right well that kind of makes sense then. and and is if a photon is traveling is traveling at the speed of light always is that right mm-hmm yep okay because it is energy of light okay so let's uh let's talk a little bit about uh the space-time continuum so we started talking about 
uh, you've mentioned that in the, originally with Lawrence and, and, and Einstein and what they were uh, measuring and, and how gravity affects time, but why is it called a continuum and how does that work? Um, a good way to think about space-time, it can be described as like if you were to stretch out a big piece of rubber or a tarp or blanket or something, and then if you like put things on the blanket, they make kind of a divot around themselves. So the rubber or blanket, we'll just call it a blanket for now, is um, is what we would describe as space-time. So um, as you move deeper into that those wells that like your little ball or whatever you put on the blanket are making, the deeper you move in, the slower time moves. So we have three dimensions um, like X, Y, and Z. Um, and then you also have a fourth dimension, which is time. So as you, depending on if you're talking general or special relativity, as you move faster and approach the speed of light, your fourth dimension becomes a lot more important because for example, if you are a photon of light, you um, time no longer advances for you because once you travel the speed of light, time is stopped for everyone outside. So you're now traveling more through time than you are through space from your frame of reference. It's kind of difficult to think about. So I think going back to the blanket analogy, um, if you think of the blanket as three dimensions, which you kind of have to wrap your mind around a little, it's um, the deeper you go into those wells that are made by the heavy objects sitting on the blanket, the slower time moves. So it's kind of just a fourth dimension that you have to think about while um, doing equations. It's probably the easiest way to think about it. Lorentz has some equations that describe it better and you can make like space-time charts that plot uh, objects, position and time relative to it because um, once you're moving at relativistic speeds or at relativistic gravitational poles, once you're in those um, gravitational wells, then time is no longer a constant that you can just depend on. Right. I don't so know I if guess that makes that's, sense. It does. Well, I mean, it does in as much as relativity uh, can to a, a layman. Uh, but the idea that, yeah, that, that moving at the speed of light means that you're moving in time no longer or you're moving yeah you're you're moving in time you're not moving in, in space i i mean mm -hmm. it's really hard to conceptualize for me because i guess the uh, uh why why is it that that speed um means that you're no longer dealing with uh, the other dimensions essentially does that yeah yeah and um, it makes sense the question you're asking you and um, probably a lot of people that listen to this know what an asymptote is on a graph. It's kind of where you run to infinity. Mm -hmm. But um, C or the speed of light is when you reach that asymptote. So okay. um, the speed right. of light or another way that's maybe easier for some people to think about because they've thought about it before is like once you go, once you hit a black hole, time stops advancing. So um there's like the event horizon is where now your time is going infinitely slow for you and infinitely fast for everyone outside. So someone watching someone who goes into a black hole, assuming they survive, um, as soon as they cross that event horizon, the person going through the black hole would continue at their current speed or acceleration or whatever 
and to them they would seem see themselves as just going across it and coming out the other end if they could escape it but the people on the outside they watch them go in and as soon as they cross the event horizon time just moves infinitely fast for them so they cease to exist in the universe to some degree because time has just all of time and space has passed since they crossed that horizon so they'll never come out again once like light the reason light can't escape a black hole is because once again like light isn't affected by gravity it could just cross a black hole and go straight across and never even know the difference in its frame of reference it would take a nanosecond to cross that distance and then come out the other end but when we watch it cross that event horizon it crosses and now it never is going to come out again because as soon as it crosses now time is um, infinitely slow or infinitely fast all of time has passed for that photon and now it's just gone forever mm, okay and, and taking it back to your blanket so what example. so i have a i have a question so right. which which viewpoint is actually real um they're both real like is the, on is the photon are. actually gone forever um yeah so relativity is relative to the observer that's the whole idea behind it so say you were in a spaceship that could go at almost exactly the speed of light and you flew into that black hole and somehow were not affected by the gravity of the black hole in your frame of reference you would go in and come back out the other side and not know any difference except that when you came out the other side i don't know what would be left because all of time outside would have advanced so from your perspective, um, from your perspective, time is advancing normally. Your watch would tick normally. Everything would be normal. The people watching you would see time moving um, much. Well, okay. I guess that's a problem because now we're moving at the speed of light and crossing an event horizon. So, yeah, that makes a problem for us. But um, essentially. If you move, I guess this would be a good time to talk about like the twin paradox. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of a common paradox that people have heard of. But the idea is that if two twins were born on Earth and one got on a rocket ship and flew to Alpha Centauri um, and came back, then the twin that stayed on Earth would have aged and the twin that flew to Alpha Centauri and back would not have. So he would still be he would be i don't know say one twin had aged the age of 80 and the other had and they parted when they were 20 the other one might come back at 22 and the other twin would be 80 years old so um for the re like your question about which one's real both are real for the person on the spaceship they just like their time seemed to advance normally but when they got back time on earth had advanced much more rapidly for them for the people there so th this reminds me of the movie, which I think may have come up in the past in one of these podcasts, the movie Interstellar. Um, yeah, right? it's really they, well they, done. Yeah, they, they deal with all of these issues, right? I remember specifically one scene of that movie where they're trying, they are trying to figure out if one of the planets is habitable. And so they, one person has to stay aboard the spaceship and the other ones go down in a little craft to check out the surface and time for them. They feel like they're on the, the on the surface for like six hours. And in the spaceship, uh, 10 years passes or something like that. Um, so that's that's mm -hmm. exactly what we're talking about, right? The idea that it, depending on your frame of reference, both uh, time just literally does travel at different speeds. 
Yeah, and that's why it's the fourth dimension. So on the space-time continuum, the space-time space is the first three dimensions and time is the fourth one. So it's just that it moves at different speeds for different people, just like you could be in a different position in, on Earth. Someone else could be in a different position in time. What is, I don't know if this is directly related, but it, so the idea of a wormhole is, a, is some type of a, a not a, well essentially a hole in space time right that connects to two different areas is that what a wormhole is mm -hmm. and that yeah. has that according to this the theory of relativity or whatever it is possible to have a wormhole right yeah technically they're they're theorized to be possible but no one knows how so okay. some people think maybe a black hole would be a wormhole i don't really see that because once you cross a black hole, you have the time problem that maybe you would go to somewhere else, but your time would have advanced infinitely far. So right. I'm not super well versed in wormholes, but I know that right. people have thought that they may exist. In the movie, they thought they did. And right. Yeah, pretty well researched. But yeah, all of these things. So the, the I mean, we have the mathematical proofs for the theory of relativity, right? This is this isn't just um, physicists coming up uh, with random odd things, and and uh, they they can prove these things mathematically. Uh, but yeah, all well, you of can the, see them too. Right. Well, like I guess with black happen. holes, right? Yeah. Well, black holes, and even on Earth, there's there's plenty of things in physics that you're your math doesn't work unless you include relativity. So it's pretty necessary for our modern view of physics that relativity okay. exists. Right. And um, but the actual the implications of relativity are things that that even even physicists who can do the math, like a lot of these things just don't make a lot of, uh, I mean, general sense this idea of being able to you said the twin paradox that these ideas seem so incredibly foreign to us that uh it doesn't like it's hard to it's hard to, con to conceive of, of a reality where the, these things can happen wormholes and people aging at decades more than their twin or things like that that's why these things are so interesting to the layman is that they seem so foreign but they, they they're provable by math and, and physics backs up this reality that seems so contrary to our to newtonian physics where it's just what we experience on a day-to-day -day level yeah it's a kind of interesting thing too because when it was first discovered um people got a little overexcited about it and there were people, there are journals out there that talked about um, how, like, this is one of the three people on Earth who understands relativity, or one of, like, I think one of the first people who made that claim was a um, New York Times reporter or something, and was like, this is one of 10 people on Earth who understands special relativity. And then it just continued to get more ridiculous to the point where, like, at one point, someone was like interviewing someone, was, they were like, you're one of three people. And they're like, well, if I'm one of three, I don't know who the third person is. But <laughs> um, it really isn't that complicated. I think people just got a little overexcited about it. Undergrad physics students understand it pretty well. Even high school students can grasp it. It just takes a while to wrap your head around the fact that time doesn't advance uniformly for everyone. So right. if people are interested in learning about relativity, I think it's a very, um, it's a very approachable field. And Sometimes people get um, get scared away because they think it's too complicated. But 
after a little bit of thinking about it and practice, it really isn't that hard. Okay. Yeah, you kind of you kind of have to like untrain your brain of thinking the way that it, because our 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 reality is what we experience, right? So mm-hmm. when we never have experienced this, because it's impossible for us to experience anything other than what our reality is, then uh, that's why this types of stuff is so hard for us to wrap our mind around because we we can't do it and therefore it's hard to think it's harder to think about like it's hard for me to think about well how is a body that's you know and then it gets into this time thing well you know the body's processes are doing certain things and like why are those slowed down you know or sped up depending on the speed somebody is going and, and it gets very complicated and hard to understand unless you just remember that it's the time that's like really affecting everything and the time is different for those two individuals then you can start um understanding it better but it it is it is a hard thing to wrap your mind around so i'm i'm trying to from for all the laymen out there that are like i think i just had a seizure or a stroke (laughs) um i did too so it's okay (laughs) yeah yeah, well, I mean, your analogy of the body too, like your bodily processes don't actually slow down. So if you get on a spaceship and go close to the speed of light, your heart continues to beat at the same speed. Everything is normal for you. But if someone were to observe you, then it would look as though it were moving slower. So from, yes, your bodily processes don't slow down because of the speed. It's just that um, from other people's frame of reference, it looks like they do. Right. Yeah, thinking in that, that exactly. maybe that made it more that's, confusing. That's where that's where the, the migraines start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thinking in a new dimension is mind bending, but if you can bend your mind around it, like uh, Peter says, you know, if you if you get practice, you take a class in it either in high school or college, and just practice thinking about it as a dimension or another, um, then you know, then things start falling into place better. But yeah, trying to, to put the effects of relativity into your day like uh map them into your your current worldview without adding that extra dimension that's when yeah that's when things don't make any sense and you feel like you're slamming your head against a wall um but let's talk about a couple other things before we wrap up this podcast so one of the things so i know uh, there's been a lot of noise here in the last i don't know five years about a, a warp drive um Mm-hmm. I think they said theoretically that there's this idea that that we could create a warp drive, essentially enough gravity that you'd bend space time in front of the uh, in the front of the craft, something like that. Is that something you've read up on, Peter? Yeah, there's a, it's a drive that's developed by a Mexican physicist called Alcubierre, and the Alcubierre drive is um, he developed this theoretical drive, and it was. Um, it was affirmed that it would work by physicists all over the world. But the issue was that in order for that drive to work, you would need the mass energy of Jupiter, which is essentially you would make Jupiter disappear and turn the whole thing into energy, which is a ridiculous amount of energy. So on one hand, that's impossible. And the other problem was you need something called exotic matter, which is just, it's a type of matter we haven't, 
discovered it, it should exist, but we don't have any. So there were two big problems. The energy problems actually come down from what I've read recently to about the like the consumption of the United States and energy for one year or something. But wow. while that seems much more reasonable, I don't know how you store that much energy on a spaceship. So there's right. still problems with it, but it is theoretically possible and you could go like 10 times the speed of light. The thing is, you're not actually traveling faster than the speed of light. Once again, we're bending our minds a little because you the drive would use this exotic matter that they're talking about, and it would bend space to the point where um, it compresses space in front of you, and then you travel across that space instead of traveling across normal space. So essentially, you're kind of cheating. You're like, in no one's frame of reference are you moving faster than the speed of light, but if you actually look at where you started and where you ended, you would have had to have traveled faster than the speed of light to make that distance in that allotted amount of time. Wow, that is crazy. Because like you said, the speed of light and uh, and space, like that's an it's an asymptote, right? Like getting to the speed of light is is infinite, right? Mm-hmm. And so the yeah. idea that you, that we can cheat our way around it seems almost like it shouldn't be mathematically possible. Yeah, and we're not really like we can't break the speed of light. It is it's a maximum speed because there is that asymptote for energy. You would it would take infinite energy to go faster than the speed of light. But if you yeah, in a way cheat it, you're crossing a shortened amount of space at a speed slower than the speed of light but because you compress space so much in front of you um you're traveling across compressed space time or space if we want to just talk about it in terms of space if you compress space to the point where it's 10 times smaller and then you move at 90 percent of the speed of light now it looks like you've gone faster than the speed of light because when you uncompress space like it's like if you take that blanket and you crumple it all up and then travel at your normal speed across that blanket and then uncrumple it, you're now at a different spot than you would have been. Right. Yeah. I, I read a book about think this about. once. Was it um, called A Wrinkle in Time? A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a documentary. It's a. Uh, I think we've discussed documentaries in this podcast before. <laughs> um, okay, it's not a documentary, just to be clear. Um, okay, so uh, one of the things that, once again, I know we, we've started, t- we, we've touched on this, but still, it's hard for me to, to conceive. I, I know we're trying to say that we're that time is a dimension. However, the idea of moving backwards in that dimension flies in the face of everything that, you know, the that kind of seems to ground any reality the idea that okay i can i can i get the idea that at the speed of light i can move across distances um and and in such a way that time doesn't affect me but the idea that i could then move take reality and rewind it seems to just be uh, i mean it, it blows up everything concrete in in the world in you know in my mind um but that that is theoretically implied by moving fa- uh, the speed of light or faster right it, that you can move backwards in time um yeah sort of i mean the reason it bends and breaks your mind is because it isn't technically possible so 
you don't have to worry too much about it because the speed of light is the limit. And um, for example, crossing a event horizon of a black hole is like the, the, that is like the slowest time can move or fastest depending on how you want to think about it. But like, you can't go any more than that. So, okay. So the warp drive doesn't, the warp drive doesn't, take that and like that's that doesn't isn't affected by this idea of um i'm going faster than the speed of light and then i'm comp- compressing space time those effects of time would still not be affected yeah yep so your your um time dilation which is what it's called when time changes based on how fast you move or the gravity your time dilation would be affected by how fast you're moving but that's the speed that you're moving, not the like apparent speed, right? Got it. So if you're okay. moving at 0.9 c or 90% of the speed of light across your compressed space, it would be affected by that 0.9, not your nine times the speed of light or whatever. Uh, okay, got it. Okay. All right. And so, so you're yeah, saying you don't have to worry about traveling back in time because it's never going to happen. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, There's actually a, something that I forget what they call it, but there's a like a cause and effect problem with that, where like if you think about it, they thought that for a while neutrinos traveled faster than the speed of light, which if they did, then time would move backwards for them, which would mean like when a neutrino emitted by the sun went through the earth, it would have yet to be emitted by the sun, which doesn't make any sense, right? Because right, exactly. So there is a problem. They figured out that their calculations were wrong and neutrinos don't. But there was a time when people were trying to figure out how that would have worked because they thought they moved fast in the speed of light. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember reading about that here, like, I don't know, was that 10 years ago when they, they yeah, when they did some measurements and thought that thing, that neutrinos had, had moved fast, had gone faster than the speed of light. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that does uh, cause all of those issues I was talking about. Yeah, like you're, all of those movies that you've seen about time travel and where if you, uh, kill your mom accidentally do, did you ever exist um th- those the same type of issues for neutrinos so um well, would I mean, you it is possible mom? that someday in the future that'll change but for now we don't think it's possible right and why would you kill your mom johnny that would it would be a bad idea but you know yeah <laughs> um generally okay. frowned upon <laughs> Okay. All right. One more question here. Um, the okay. So this came up in a podcast. I don't like a year and a half ago when Matt was on. Matt's not available this morning, but uh, Matt was talking about two beams of, of light traveling uh, either together or or uh, away from each other, and the relative speed of those beams of light to each other. Um, and it was explaining that those two beams of light uh, tr- uh, you know, approach each other at the speed of light, not two times the speed of light. Um, can you uh, elaborate at all on that, Peter, and how that works? Yeah, so relativity is the idea that basically, from your frame of reference, um, basically, in relativity, you are the center of the universe and everything in the universe moves around you. So the first way to start thinking about relativity is to think like, um, so you're in a car moving down the freeway. It's not you moving down the freeway. It's the Earth moving under you. So you get in a spaceship and take off to Mars. It's not you moving off of Earth. It's Earth moving away from you and Mars moving towards you. You're just 
motionless, right? So this is um, like the the point of uh, reference most celebrities, for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're the center of the universe. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. That's <laughs> um, a very egocentric way to look at the universe, but right. it's um, kind of the first thing you have to realize when you start to think about relativity is you have to think of everything moving in respect to you, and you are motionless, and and that's it. So, Do you think um, I can tell my wife this today and just tell her I'm just practicing relativity? And so everything revolves around me today. Probably not a good policy. I mean, you wouldn't be wrong either. So. <laughs> exactly. Okay. From I'll your frame of reference, everything is moving relative to you. <laughs> um, okay. And one way to think about it is me, then it will be, <laughs> since it'll be approaching the speed of light, it uh, can get really complicated. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, if you like one example people have of relativity, this is like a really simple example, but like you get in your car on the freeway and you look at cars going the opposite direction on the freeway and it looks like they're going really fast because you think of yourself as motionless and the cars. So if you think of yourself as motionless, it looks like the cars going the opposite direction on the freeway are doing 160 if you're both doing 80 miles an hour. So. The problem is with that, though, as Matt was describing a year and a half ago or whenever you guys talked about that, is um, say that you're going at the speed of light and another, say you're a photon watching another photon come towards you. If, as we talked about with that freeway analogy, you're doing 80 and they're doing 80 and it looks like 160. Um, if you're a photon of light traveling towards a photon of light, then it would seem like they're doing two times the speed of light, right? That just seems to right. be what would happen. However, there are there's some equations that actually solve this problem because you don't even have to be going the speed of light to think about this. You could think of a spaceship traveling towards another spaceship and both of them are doing, say, or say you're in a spaceship and you're going at 90% of the speed of light and you shoot a missile at 90% of the speed of light. That seems like we would run into the problem of you add those two velocities together and now it's faster than the speed of light, right? Right. Um, or you shoot a laser and you're adding the speed of light to yours, so you'd be going 190% of the speed of light. The problem there is you can't violate the speed of light from any frame of reference, no matter what frame of reference you're in. So, um, there's some equations that look kind of like the Doppler shift equations. But they will let you figure out how fast it would be moving. It's kind of a hard thing to describe without going through the actual math of it. But okay. Um, but from no, from no point of reference, is it are things going faster than the speed of light, right? Yeah. No matter what you do, no matter what frame of reference you look at, things are never they'll never violate the speed of light. Okay. So. Like even if I'm so I'm an observer, I'm sitting on Earth and I'm looking at uh, lasers shot uh, in opposite ways. You know, uh, they're but relative to each other. There's every, everything is still just bound by the, the the speed of light. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. 
Um, any other uh, tidbits, Peter? Any last words on the theory of relativity? I think that there's some interesting stuff with light and relativity, so maybe it would be worth talking about that really quick. Is sure because light doesn't isn't affected by gravity. Relativity is the thing that explains why it bends. So, um, and this is once again another example of why waves are both light or particles and waves. Um, when light moves towards, say, a black hole, and one part of it is deeper in the black hole's, like, quote-unquote, um, its gravity well, the deeper part now has a slower, like, time advances slower for it than the part that's further out of the well. So the reason that light bends around it is because um, part of, like, part of that wave is moving at a slower, like time advances slower for half the wave than the other half. So it bends because one half is moving faster than the other half. Like if your wheels on a car were moving faster on one side than the other, that would be why your car would turn as well. That's crazy. It's kind of interesting to think. I think black holes are fascinating to think about because they're kind of the extreme with relativity. Yeah, and I uh, I think the last physics podcast that we had years I said quite a while ago uh, we I, we mentioned one thing about black holes that I had read an article this is now probably two years ago where it was talking about how uh, inside the event horizon of a black hole theoretically there's this area where space time is being dragged by gravity at uh, at the speed of light or, or something along those lines so essentially inside of that space you could travel and theoretically uh you could break the i think it's kind of like the idea of a warp drive like uh now sudden i'm i'm traveling further than light would in in a particular time um that's because space is already moving at the speed of light and i'm inside of that space also moving um Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's something you've read or seen, but this is an article I read like two years ago just talking about the theoretical uh, issues and, and complexities of, of being inside that yeah, event horizon and, and that super massive gravitational pull of a, a black hole. Yeah, anyway. once you cross that event horizon, time, well, from an outside perspective, people watching you, time seems to stop moving, which... Right. Time stopped moving. Now you're in a three-dimensional world, which is what we all think we live in, but we don't. So, right. I guess it it becomes a problem because um, because now you took out one of the dimensions that we all take for granted, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now uh, things don't make sense anymore when we're in this three-dimensional world we thought we were in. Right, exactly. And that's what Johnny was talking about earlier as far as just saying it's that's where, you know, it takes some practice thinking about thinking around those, uh, you know, and, and there have been incredible physicists in the past that have that, that do that really well that have a lot of practice um, and therefore are able to make these connections and come up with these ideas and formulas and theories that uh, explain things uh, because they live in that world where all of these things make sense where the general the, the general population is lucky if yeah if we can uh, understand like uh, some type of uh, implications or if we could even like you said you you can plot that there are formulas that help you kind of figure these things out and, and make sense of them but mapping them into your world experience and being able to come up with uh, the other potential theoretical implications of black holes and, and the relativity and, and space time and all those things that takes, uh, 
an understanding of, of uh, physics that the, the layman does, doesn't have. So, okay. Yeah. Um, it becomes very hard and very quick, but it's always fun to talk, talk about and think about. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, good times. Um, all right, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, Johnny, I hope you've told your wife that you are the center of the universe. I'll let her know for sure. <laughs> good luck with that. All right, well, thank you. Uh, thanks, Peter. Thanks, Johnny. And um, yeah, join us back again for our next podcast. Yeah.